the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. She is a genius. And I'm so glad that she is the voice of our generation. I'm just so thankful. Um, you guys, I played that because we are talking today about what, what does it mean to be factually correct and embrace objective truth? And what does it look like to neglect those things and instead, not just neglect, reject, let's say that, reject those things, reject objective truth, reject true results, and instead embrace feel-good, morally right solutions that actually bring regress. Um, I mean, that's the classic tactic of the left, right? Promise progress. Go as far as calling yourself progressive and then bring utter regress to society. Massive devastation. It's the classic tale as all this time from these progressives. But you guys, this is Morgan. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for tuning in again today. We are going to talk about Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Um, wee! <laughs> it's, it's June 1st, and so get ready to see all the rainbow logos, um, all the strange pandering. And I, I wonder, will it ever stop? Or will it just get worse every year? It's kind of interesting and like a, a multi-year evaluation of, of like, how much weirder could it get? What else could Target sell other than chest binders to children and then have the activists explain that this is going to be helpful for kids to sneakily buy chest binders and hide them from their parents? I mean, how much weirder could it get? I guess I probably shouldn't ask that because now I'm thinking, oh, it could definitely get even weirder. Um, I actually just saw a strange video of a boy doing like little dancey dances on a stage with drag queens and people are like handing him money. It's like, yep. I guess it could get weirder than Target selling chest binders, so maybe I should bite my tongue on this one. Um, you guys, we're talking about that, and we're also talking about some updates in the gun discussion because the Looney Tunes in Canada and here are saying some strange stuff. Biden is is letting us know that a 9 millimeter handgun will blow a lung out, and some other stuff happened regarding the WHO. So, of course, I've got to be your source on this. Come on, okay? Let's get into the podcast. All right, first things first, it's Pride Month, people. I'm filming this, it is June 1st, Wednesday, June 1st. June is Pride Month. It used to be just a thing where gay people were happy to be gay. And then we've added like 5 million letters to the alphabet mafia. And I would say, I'm not gay, but if I was a gay person, and I spent decades trying to just get basic respect in society and work so hard to get seen legally uh, in a way where I could marry the love of my life because the law used to prevent that. If I had worked so hard in this issue that I cared about so much and achieved it, and then the 
movement got completely corrupted by these strange new um, transgender activists that are trying to say that them invading women's sports and completely disrupting the basics of society in such a strange way that's pissing off everybody. Nobody's happy to see this except for a very small fringe. I would be kind of mad. I would feel a little frustrated. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, like, I, I can't put myself in their shoes because I'm, I'm just not in that situation. But I, I wonder, like, I would be kind of mad if I was a classic old school gay activist that just wanted to be able to marry my husband or something and, and have him be my legal spouse, whatever it was. And then it got corrupted and completely distorted. Like, I saw something. This is so sad. This is so indicative of what we're dealing with today. Somebody posted on the internet. (laughs) I feel really bad for this person. Someone posted on the internet that I guess they flew a rainbow flag outside their house. And then they got told, you can't do that. It's political, not in the neighborhood. So then they posted this triumphant story about how they painted their house rainbow. And it was just the basic rainbow flag that used to represent the pride flag. (sighs) You guys activists started calling that person out saying thank you for trying but you didn't include the flag with all the new colors to represent the trans people i guess that's like light blue white and the pink and so bear with me here we're going to try and understand this they have this pride flag and they've turned it into this thing where now they have um these light colors for the trans stuff added in in like this triangle on the side and then also black and brown and like tan and gray or something all added to the original rainbow flag and so this man didn't include those new additions in the painting of his house and activists on his own side were eating him up saying how dare you not include the paint like the painting of the actual all colors this is not inclusive all this stuff thanks for trying though and it's just so indicative you guys in all issues Throughout history, we can see that the left eats their own. Once they get rid of the oppressor class, they need to create a new oppressor class. They need to have a continuous effort, um, the, the long march, if you will, to achieve constant progress. And eventually, you'll find yourself, even if you were one of the original OG activists, you're going to find yourself in the gulag for not being hip enough with it. Okay? Does that make enough sense? Either way, that little back and forth on the internet when I was watching that sweet, <laughs> that poor innocent guy that like thought he made this huge win by painting his house rainbow. Not enough in 2022, sir. Thank you very much. And so one thing on Pride Month I want you guys to keep an eye on. I'm interested because usually everybody makes fun of Pride. Over the last few years, it's been like, oh, watch all the major companies. They're going to turn their logos rainbow. Will they turn them rainbow now? Or will it all just be this big color mixture of all the the black brown white gray red white blue all the usual rainbows and then the light pink and then the white and then the light blue i'm interested i'm tracking because i want to see if the left is going to eat their own here and how many of the companies are going to be told like you're not woke enough or how many companies are going to like expose the fact that they're pretty hip and in the know with all this i don't know it's these little things that just make my heart flutter what can i say what a thrill (laughs) Um, other than that though I will say, in general, the numbers are kind of crazy. If you look at how normalized this entire talk of 
of creating chaos by rejecting basic gender roles, how crazy it's become. Um, last episode, we talked about the intentional creation of chaos in society. I won't tell you all about it again. You can go listen to the last episode, but it is important to bring this up of this has happened in other countries when the left rises to power. They enjoy, not only enjoy it, but they, they need to create a level of chaos by encouraging people to abandon their basic primal and societal roles. And so in communist China, they tried to masculine I can never come up with the verb for that. They tried to make the women more masculine and get them to abandon their feminine ways, telling them that they were bourgeois, which is, you know, the wealthy elitist kind of thing. And you need to be working class, baby. This is communism. Get in the commune. Now, when I talk to people from communist China that experience that, they say they're very concerned with how America's doing something similar, but it's very much pressuring men to embrace more feminine ways. And this trans thing is just like a whole new level of creating chaos. So that goes into this idea of, is it that bad, Morgan, or are things just accentuated because of social media? Is that why? No. Guess what? The numbers that we talked about last episode, quick refresher, previous generations had 1%, 4% people that were in the LGBTQ community. And so that's not just gay people. That now includes people that, I'm trying to think, uh, trans. And so they actually identify as another gender. And then queer, not exactly sure what that is. But you can now just say I'm queer and that can mean that you're just something and you're not exactly sure, whatever it may be. Um, We have encouraged people in this society where people want fulfillment and they want to be a part of something. Instead of giving them healthy ways to do so, social media And the political activists of our time are telling kids, oh, you're going to feel really good when you join our movement and just, you know, identify as queer. And, you you know, you don't have to, like, actually make too many changes in your life. But if you identify with us, it's like you're a part of the hip club. So shockingly, 10% of millennials are actually in LGBTQ community. And then 20%, 20% of Gen Z identify in the alphabet mafia now themselves. Do you ever think of like, that's kind of concerning for procreation? At first I thought, you know, this is what's funny. At first you can look at it and be like, oh, we might have a population problem if this continues to exponentially increase. I mean, what's the next generation going to look like if they've gone through the grooming that's in the public school system right now and what's pushed onto them by pop culture? If it went from 10% last generation, 20% current with Gen Z, what's going to happen to the next one? And then what do we expect of our population If all of these people are not men and women in a relationship and cannot physically procreate, well, that's where we get into this whole men can get pregnant thing. They're trying to normalize it of like, well, if you have the proper organs with two people, you could technically get pregnant. And so, and that person, if that person is a biological woman, but tells you that they are a man and they get pregnant, you now have to say that men can get pregnant because they identify as a man. That's how we got to that whole like pregnant emoji thing, by the way. I hope you guys don't think that they're actually saying that a man can get pregnant. They just want you to be able to be willing to say, nope, that woman that wants to be a man is a man. Now she's pregnant and we still have to call her a man. And then we have to tell them that, yep, you're right. Men can get pregnant. Sure. Men can get periods. That's how we ended up in that big mess. So the 20% thing really freaks me out on a societal level of, is that going to be a problem with like procreation and population levels? I truly wonder. Other thing that caught my eye about this, conscious consumerism is important. I beat myself up about this all the time. I will go into a store with things that I I physically need to buy. I'm not a big shopper. I do love buying dresses, okay? I love the long dresses. I'm not a big shopper, but I'm very intentional about my purchases. And so even when I need something, 
I will go in the store and half the time there's only options from communist China. So I just take my little purse and I walk out of that store and it's kind of frustrating because it's like, well, (laughs) I don't exactly know where else to purchase one. So do I just keep going physically from store to store? Um, and then it's, it's quite actually a hard time to go from multiple store to multiple stores because there truly aren't a lot of options that aren't created in communist China. So I, I try my best on it. I'm doing really well on it, but in general, it's so frustrating when you like look at something and you're like, this did not come from, from very holy sources. Let's just say that. Um, the other thing that I care about now though is in general the views of the company. Never really worried about it before, but now when we find out just how controlling corporations and big tech and these elites really are, it makes me very concerned. You have ESG now making a huge, huge impact in the major economy of our country in the sense that investments are only being made in companies that uh, are agreeing to go woke. And so I always keep an eye out for what companies are willing to stand up against this. At the same time, it's very hard because it's at such a fundamental level of how they finance the company that I understand the pressures. And it's something that we as a nation and our side, we need to pay attention to. And we need to stand up for companies that are willing to put themselves out there and say, no, I'm not complying with this woke crap. Um, Maybe I should look into what companies are actually doing that and provide that for you guys. But that all goes back into that concept of the conscious consumerism and to take it a step further, I care so much about what is it, what's in the ingredients. I, I don't want to get a little radical here. I mean, of course I do. I don't want to get radical right now about this, I should say. But if you've heard of gender bender chemicals, then you know what I'm talking about. When we buy things with certain makeups and that were made with certain things, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to politely say this, there are things in our everyday life that were made with chemicals and ingredients, I guess, materials that are just incredibly dangerous for our bodies. And a lot of it has synthetic estrogen in it. Look it up. I'll do an episode on it maybe. But if you want to learn about it right now, look up the Candace Owens show, her podcast, and then look up Jackie Deason on the Candace Owens show. So if you look up Jackie Deason, Candace Owens, the episode will come up and they talk about exactly what I'm talking about. So I pay attention to all of the products. I don't have artificial uh, fragrance. I try not to consume things that are wrapped in plastic. I do a lot of major changes in in terms of what I am allowing in my home and what I am putting into my body and all these things. And so that's another aspect of that conscious consumerism. The other one, though, is going to be with this pride stuff. I'm getting sick and tired of seeing kids groomed and this this nasty culture propagated and furthered by woke corporations, specifically things like Target, where I did another episode on it previously. But Target, it turns out that in honor of Pride Month, they partnered with a trans company to sell in the stores of your local suburban Target on the racks these chest binders and then apparently other things are like packing panties and um, what I I don't know the other words. But if you just use your imagination, (laughs) if you just use your imagination, I'll just only tell you about the top one because you can do whatever you want to do with your imagination on the other things. But chest binders, Target wants to help girls that have breasts hide them by putting on very tight sports bra looking things 
that have compression in them and will make it look more manly, kind of like hide the fact that they have boobs, basically. Sorry to say boobs, whatever. Um, So this helps people take that next step into changing their physical features. And activists, when Target announced this, were so thrilled because they said that it's really hard for trans youth, so girls, little girls that want to be men, boys, I should say, because they're so young, they're so innocent, they want to be boys, and they are trying to sneak this kind of physical altering uh, these garments by shipping them to the house, and then apparently the, the parents catch them, and then it's a whole thing. And so the activists were saying this is really good for the trans youth because now they could just tell their mom, oh, look, can I have this sports bra, mom? Or they could buy it themselves when they're at Target with their friends, and then if their mom ever looks, the specific labeling you guys this is how sick it is the specific labeling on the sports bras is intended to make it look like a normal shirt so that only the purchaser understands what it will do and then you can easily hide it from your parents because it doesn't have any kind of logo or any kind of packaging that would make it clear that it's intended to compress the breasts of a woman a young girl especially that's wearing them that's trying to hide it from the parents so that's it's Sold in your local Target. Guess who hasn't gone back to Target? I'm so proud of myself. I love Target. Not anymore. And I also haven't bought in Carhartt, okay? I'm doing really well. But that being said, I'm going to keep my eye out on all these little companies that think that they're making a big win, right? They, they must feel so cool because they get some fun viral moments on Twitter and Gen Z and all the activists online love them so much. But at the end of the day, that short-term, short-sighted victory of theirs because all they really care about is pleasing the profits, the customers, whatever it is, that's going to have a detrimental impact on society, I believe, and it's not okay. And it's insulting that they are willing to comply with such a dangerous movement just to make a little extra buck. So there you go. Well, speaking of that, let's bring it into the next segment because an interesting story just came out from, you guys wouldn't believe this, the New York Times. Let's get into it. Okay, so interesting thing happened. The New York Times, of all places, did a story interviewing two doctors about Leah Thomas, the biological male that competed against men and ranked in like the 300s, I think like 362 or some random number like that, competing as a male student, and then transitioned into a female, into identifying as a female, took about a year of of hormone treatment where he reduced the levels of testosterone in his body. And that is the only requirement right now of the NCAA, to do a year of testosterone treatment, reducing the levels. And then he started competing against women and smashed the records and won national champion in the latest national championship race that took place earlier this year. And it was a whole national story. Now, if you try and engage in political discourse about this, the left will call you bigot or against human rights or all of these aggressive words. And that happened to me at the, I did a speech earlier this year and I show up and there's 40 students that had found my videos discussing this story and other similar women's sports stories talking about just how it's important to preserve safety and fair competition for women because we just deserve those basic things. I don't know. Is that so hard to say? They were saying that a transphobe was coming to speak on campus, and then they had a bunch of signs and posters that said, 
you know, we're in favor of human rights and, and I don't like human rights, apparently. Like, they accuse me of, imagine how intense that must be for a political side to want to accuse someone like me of being against human rights for just saying perhaps a biological male shouldn't be able to fairly compete against women because it's not possible. I don't know. Okay. Either way, that's how hostile it is. And so honestly, kudos, I can't believe I'm saying this, kudos to the New York Times for covering this story during such a hostile situation. And I should say as well, perhaps they understand how important it is. Perhaps someone there at the Times is like, you know what, maybe we should stand up for basic objectivity. Because I don't care about the names. I don't care about the the hostility towards me. I know my friends that talk about this, Connor Clegg especially, he does not care. If you listen to Freedom Papers, <laughs> if you ever listen to our show at Turning Point where we, we talk about the Federalist Papers and the ratification debate, Connor and I bring up the trans issue pretty much every episode. And then we joke about like, ugh, we talked about the trans issue too much today because it's just so good as an example of why it's important to have a basic foundation of objective truth that we can all agree on. And then we, as different sides, can debate and discuss discuss the solutions and the path forward for whatever problems we're facing. But how do you do that when the entire other side of the political conversation will call you against human rights, anti-human rights, for just saying a basic objective fact? It's really important for us to stand up for these basic, basic things, or at least to me, it, it is very important. So that being said, the New York Times came out with this entire article and they interviewed two doctors um, that specialized in the study of female and male athletes. And they came up with a lot of stuff. I encourage you guys to go actually read the article. It's kind of long. But one of the biggest lessons is they say going through puberty as a male gives you just massive biological advantage in multiple levels, not just the levels of testosterone, but in just multiple, multiple ways. When a male goes through puberty, you automatically have just unfixable advantage. You cannot take away those advantages that your body now has over a biological woman that also went through puberty. What's so interesting is the NCAA allowed and allows people like Leah Thomas to compete because their only requirement is that they, the male go through reduction of testosterone levels with like hormone treatment or whatever it's called for a year. And then they can fairly compete <laughs> against women. And so Leah Thomas did that for a year and then went to compete and won national championship breezily, easy breezy. And now you're having scientists come out and say that is not a fair standard to have if you want to ensure fair competition. And it was kind of awesome to see it from the New York Times. Now what's really strange is at the same time as this New York Times thing is coming out, an interview with Leah Thomas came out, I think with Good Morning America. And I want to show you guys this because it is so incredibly frustrating to hear this. Here we go. After following NCAA guidelines of a year of hormone therapy to change gender categories, Thomas started her senior year on the women's team. But her success in the water was met with outrage leading up to the NCAA championships. Her critics say she jumped in the rankings between the men's and the women's team. And there are some who look at the data and suggest that you're enjoying a competitive advantage. What do you say to that? There's a lot of factors that go into a race and how how well you do and the biggest change 
for me is that I'm happy. And sophomore year, um, where I had my best times competing with the men, I was miserable. And so having that be lifted is incredibly relieving and allows me to put my all into training, into racing. Trans people don't transition for athletics. We transition to be happy and authentic and our true selves. Transitioning to get an advantage is not something that ever factors into our decisions. You didn't transition to win more medals. No. <sighs> so this reminds me of what I played earlier of AOC, remember? I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. So, let's get something straight. I think it is wrong to shape the conversation, especially as conservatives, around this concept that Leah Thomas wanted to win so badly, they decided to transition from being a boy into a girl. I think that really does us some disservice, and it does, certainly doesn't do us any favors, because it's a very strange argument to make. I don't think that's what they were doing. And that also allows the other side, like we just witnessed, to prop Leah Thomas up and say, well, just clarify for everyone, you didn't do this to win and become more competitive against the women, right, just for medals. And you guys, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that that's the reason and throw that there. And then it allows them to give us a like one-two punch back and say, ha-ha, that's not the case. What's really happening here is we can't tell this person for some reason, listen, it's okay. Do your change. If you were unhappy as you were, as an individual, go ahead, make your change and, and do your thing to make yourself happy. But that means that you then have an unfair advantage over biological women. And so you won't get to compete competitively, especially, I guess I should say, like go ahead and have your smaller competitions. But when it comes to serious competition, you just can't compete because now it's unfair to everyone else. And so we're very happy that you're happy. Okay. If this is about you being happy, then sure, go be happy and make that life change. But we don't all have to comply with your major life change that now makes it unfair for everyone else and sets a completely anti-science standard for all of women's sports moving forward. Does that make any sense? Perhaps we should embrace the fact that when we make choices in life and choose a certain path in life, it comes with pros and cons. And in the evaluation of what do I want to do, especially with something as serious as transitioning my gender, I'm going to have to understand, okay, I'm going to be happier. I'm going to feel more like myself. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. But in the cons list, uh, you know, I can't compete against uh, other people in sports anymore and expect it to be something where I can be in competitive, serious competitions because it's just not fair. That should just be something on the cons list instead of, nope, I get to have an entire list of pros, no cons, and everybody else is going to have to deal with it because it's what makes me happy. One of the best takes I saw was that how much further are women going to have to be reduced all just to make a man happy? <laughs> like, so you're telling me that all of this was just so that you could be happy? That's, it's a smack to the face to all of the other athletes for this to be reduced down to, well, I just, 
I feel finally happy now. So now I really enjoy competing against women. Are you kidding me? So I think we need to be able to have harder conversations. And it's the coddling of young people that I think has led to this with this idea that, okay, you made your bed. Now you got to lie in it. And part of that means that you don't get to compete in competitive sports anymore. And that's that. That's okay. But we're happy that you're happy now. But there are some, some sacrifices that you have to make when you make tough decisions in life. That seems kind of simple, right? Am I going crazy, you guys? Or am I just onto something? Okay, so let's move on to the next thing. Um, lots of updates coming out of Texas. What's happening this week are the politicians are really, really digging their heels in to more and more gun control. Their desire to achieve gun control and to focus the conversation around this topic as if it's the problem of the shooting in Texas is incredibly disingenuous and it's completely exposing what their true intentions are. Because with a situation like Texas where the more information we find out, the worse it gets in terms of how many basic protocols and standards were broken, ignored, or just completely failed when if implemented properly, a whole other outcome probably could have been achieved the more we find this out, the more politicians continue to shift away from that and the meaningful conversations and discussions that need to be had and talking again and again and again about the Second Amendment. So I want to get into those. But before we do that, because I've been holding off talking about this topic because it's just, it's not time yet. I'm going to bite my tongue while I wait. But I will say, you know what, you guys? I have one thing to say about the shooter so far. Look up the guns that this man had. Because this 18-year-old supposedly went and bought these guns and this ammo by himself. And it's just a little pricey, just a little interesting. I was looking at it and I said, perhaps I'm reading the wrong thing. Am I reading fake news? Au contraire, I was not. That's what he was carrying. I would look it up. Um, that's all I'm going to say, though. Now, that being said, something positive came out of it, and it was this sweet article by um, Daily Caller. Let me see if her name. I think her name is Laura Duggan. And she took the time to compile lists of positive moments in the wake of the shooting. And it was titled, Eight Examples of Be uh, People Being Incredible in the Face of the Texas Massacre. Number one, mother rescues children from school after marshals arrest her. Angeli Rose Gomez, whose two children were in the school, was handcuffed by federal marshals after begging them to take action during the shooting, she told the Wall Street Journal. But she had a police officer she knew convince them to uncuff her. She then snuck off, jumped a school fence, ran inside the school, and helped her children escape. Two, off-duty officer borrows Barber's gun, evacuates kids. Jacob Alvarado, an off-duty Border Patrol agent, was getting a haircut when his wife, a teacher at Robb Elementary School, told him about the shooter in a text message. He borrowed a shotgun from his barber, who went with him to the school. Quote, there's an active shooter, she wrote, according to the New York Times, help, I love you. He began evacuating children, including his daughter, one class at a time. Two officers accompanied him, guns drawn, providing cover. Number three, young girl pretends to be dead and survives massacre. Jeez. One 11-year-old girl who was in the classroom with the shooter survived by covering herself in her classmate's blood during the attack and pretending to be dead. The girl was not shot but was hospitalized with injuries from bullet fragments in her back. Oh, my gosh. Four, nation raises money for family that lost both parents. Oh, did you guys hear this? 
So sad. Others aided the victims of the shooting from across the country with financial support. A GoFundMe has raised nearly $2.5 million for the family of Irma Garcia, one of the two teachers killed in the Monday attack, and her husband, Joe, who died of a heart attack on Thursday. People are saying he died of a broken heart. The couple had four children, two of whom are under 18. Five. Community overwhelms blood donation clinic. Members of the community quickly lined up to donate blood following the attack as reports trickled in about the number of wounded and hospitalized victims. Donors filled all appointments throughout the entire week by Tuesday evening, and there was a two-hour wait at the South Texas Blood and Tissue offices that night. Six, man identifies bodies, shields parents from gruesome sight. I mean, humans can be amazing. Like, there's disgusting humans out there, but, like, this kind of stuff is crazy. The Uvalde Justice of Peace... Elwalio, El, oh, Ulalio, I think, I'm sorry, Diaz, worked late into the night Tuesday identifying the bodies of victims so that their families could have answers, according to the El Paso Times. In some cases, he swabbed family members for DA to spare them from having to identify their deceased loved ones. So sweet. A picture circulated online of Constable David Valdez hugging Diaz after the gruesome task of identifying the children's bodies. Oh my goodness. Seven. Anonymous donor covers funeral expenses of children. Or one anonymous donor is covering all funeral expenses for children who were killed in the massacre. This was announced by Governor Greg Abbott. And eight, Uvalde mayor shuts down heckling Beto O'Rourke. When Democratic gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke derailed the Wednesday press conference about the mass shooting with comments blaming Republicans for failing to do something about gun violence, the Uvalde mayor quickly shut him down. Sir, you're out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't... I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that comes to a deal like this to make a political issue. Sorry for swearing, but I wanted to read that one out loud because that's really what happened. Um, It's this kind of stuff where, you know, there's hope in humanity, right? So I think that was really sweet. Thank you to the Daily Caller and and Laurel. Oh, her name's Laurel. Sorry, I called her Lauren earlier. Thank you, Laurel. Um, Let's talk about the situation, though, because instead of focusing on moving forward and finding solutions and figuring out who dropped the ball, where the ball was dropped, uh, national and all-level politicians and international politicians are making this about guns once again. Here is our lovely president of the United States making a profound statement that George Washington himself would just be so truly tickled pink to hear. And I want to just warn you, it's near his helicopter, so it's a little loud. Sorry, guys. And they showed me a, 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 a x-ray. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lungs, and we can probably get it out, maybe able to save the life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is that there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just I remember the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. Hmm. Now listen, I am not, I'm not a, a gun girl, if you will, but I carry a very basic Glock 43X. And people are looking at this from two things. First, he just talked about a 9mm uh, exploding along or whatever he said, but at 22, there's still a chance to save him. But a 9mm, that'll really blow out your lung, won't it? Um, 
so there was that, and everybody's kind of talking about that because it's very deserving of being discussed, right? I'm not saying it shouldn't be. But then at the end, he just kind of sneaks it in a little bit, and he's like, the Second Amendment, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, they were never absolute. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, not getting enough attention, I would say. Um, first of all, when carrying, again, this is from very basic, Morgan just has a little concealed carry because I don't want to get murdered because I'm five feet tall and I'm like 115 pounds and I will die. So I like a little equalizer added to the situation, especially if I'm like hiking or running or just out and about. Um, now (laughs) from the basic knowledge that I have, a 22 is not a good option for me to be bringing around because it exactly will not do the damage that I need it to do if I'm being attacked by a bad guy. The point is not to keep a bad guy alive by giving him the mercy of a 22. That's kind of the point is like if I am getting attacked and we're looking at this from carrying from a self-defense perspective or a safety perspective, it's not a good idea for me to carry a 22 because it won't do much if a large man gets shot with a tiny little 22. He could probably still come continue to come at me and be just as forceful and aggressive unless I like get some really good aim. You know what I'm saying? So it's good to carry something else other than a 22. And then you have Joe Biden from the completely wrong perspective saying, well, a 22 would give us the chance to, to keep more people alive and, and you could still save someone if they're shot with a 22 because their lung hasn't exploded. When they talk like this, even someone like me knows what a doofus, what a dum-dum. And no. So they're going to, I could give you a whole episode, you guys, of the dumb things that they've said in the wake of every kind of situation like this, especially this one, because it's just gotten ridiculous. Here's Whoopi Goldberg, for example. There is too much at stake here. Too many lives have been at stake and too many damn little kids. I'm sick of seeing people talk about, well, we should do something. No, we should do something. And I don't care, NRA. You got to give that gun up. You can have your other yeehaw guns, whatever you want. The AR-15 has to is not a hunting gun. A it is not a gun where you're going to go out and shoot your dinner. This gun is meant to kill people. That's what it's for. And you can't have it anymore. And I'm not even going to tell you how pissed I am that so many folks are saying, well, you can't have what you need for your body. Forget my body. You can't have this gun because it kills people and children, and I'm sick of it. There we go again, you guys. I'm going to hit the button again. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. (sighs) They just keep talking in ways that makes it so clear they don't have the fundamental understanding. Now, I, like I said, I'm tiny, and so I like to conceal carry for my personal safety. But let's have the honest conversation, you guys. When they talk about things of, like, we just care about having guns to go hunt and shoot dinner, that's not why we want guns. We have guns in America because our founders and, you know, for the most part, most people through our history have understood the importance of being able to protect ourselves as individuals with uh, innumerable rights given to us by God. We have these rights and we need to protect them from an oppressive government in our future or a tyrannical government that wants to oppress us, harm us, and take power from us. That's why we have the Second Amendment. That's why we have guns. This has nothing to do with hunting. 
And honestly, I could even make the case this has nothing to do with me even wanting to protect myself as a little gal. Yes, it's it's definitely a, a, an aspect of it. But for the most part, an armed population is really what the Second Amendment is all about, what gun rights are all about. And then it does transcend down into people like Morgan being able to conceal carry for, for personal safety. I think that's it definitely fits into that aspect of the rights. But for the most part, no one wants to say this, but we have a tyrannical government rising in the United States, and now more than ever, we need to be able to have an armed population. When you take away guns from a population, the only people that have guns are the oppressive government actors and the bad guys. That's just the very basic stuff. And so I I really don't care what kind of emotional rhetoric they send to us. No matter how gruesome they try and make it sound, exploding along with nine millimeters, whatever they want to say. I just take it, and then we reply with our usual statement of, it's not going to happen. It, it cannot possibly happen. But thank you for your contribution to this very serious conversation. Um, that being said, the Second Amendment is very much absolute, and it should remain absolute. But now the President of the United States, what did he say? Oh, yeah, that it's not absolute. And Part of the, the whole concept of our, our government was that it would last through time. It doesn't adjust. Our Bill of Rights, our Constitution, these things aren't supposed to just sway with the worldly ways and, oh, well, you know, technology changed a little bit, so we should do things like rewrite the First Amendment, which is what they said at the W8 or the World Economic Forum recently. It doesn't mean that you say, oh, well, technology and, and weapons has changed, so we should probably limit the rights of people now because, you know... Back then, they only had muskets. No, it was the concept of people being able to protect themselves and stand up against a government, a governmental tyranny. Now, when you consider that, then you can understand how crucial and important it is to not have a president say these insane talking points. But that's the state of the country that we're in today. So I have multiple different, you know, points of where we could go from this, but one of them is just that we have an unenlightened public that doesn't understand the crucial foundation of the Second Amendment and the importance of being able to protect ourselves and stand up for ourselves when we are oppressed as individuals or as people in the population as a whole. So it comes from this complete sense of unknowing. And that's why when I hear people like Whoopi Goldberg, she feels so righteous in making fun of us and our yeehaw guns, saying that we can kill animals with other things and put food on the table instead, as if we care about hunting rifles. And that's why we care about the Second Amendment. There is such a, a misunderstanding on the core concepts. And conservatives don't want to have these conversations with people but perhaps it would actually benefit the entire conversation and our efforts if we were just more upfront about why it exists in the first place. So that's why I like like Blake Masters. I'm trying to think of who else. Maybe Joe Kent. I'm trying to think of some politicians that have been more upfront about saying this. But I know Blake Masters in Arizona. He did an entire campaign section of his video where he said, we need to be able to continue to carry so that we can protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. Period. That kind of statement needs to be said more so that people understand this has nothing to do with us wanting to have hunting guns, okay? Perhaps that would benefit us if we were just more candid about it. And it seems harsh. It seems aggressive. Like, why would we have to say that? This is America. It can never happen here. I'm not saying it could happen here or it will. I'm saying you never know. And we need to be upfront about what these values really represent and what these rights are really all about. Now, the other thing is, thank goodness we have our Constitution, right, where, where rights are fundamental to us. They are given to us by God, protected by government, but then not only that, power is decentralized. 
We don't believe in top-down like the rest of the world, like the Trudeau. So let's see what he's doing over in Canada in the wake of this big mess. Gun violence is a complex problem, but at the end of the day, the math is really quite simple. The fewer the guns in our communities, the safer everyone will be. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. As a further part of this new legislation, we're also fighting gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing maximum criminal penalties and providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearm crimes. And we'll require the permanent alteration of long gun magazines so they can never hold more than five rounds. These are actions that doctors, experts, and chiefs of police have been calling for for years and we're acting on their advice. I also want to thank the advocates, many of whom are here today, for your tireless efforts. I know that for too many of you, Greece, grief and loss are at the root of the work that you do. I want to recognize that, and on behalf of all Canadians, I want to thank you for your strength. Merci. So, I mean, yep in Canada because a massive protocol mess up and basic security standard mess up happened in Texas in America. Trudeau is using this as an opportunity to grab the guns of his poor innocent people um, who have already been put through massive tyranny over the last few years because of COVID. So now apparently you can't leave Canada unless you're vaccinated because then you can't get back in or whatever the rules are. I've got to look more into it, but I'm getting messages from people in Canada saying, Morgan, (laughs) Morgan, please talk about this because we are trapped here and now they're going to take our guns. And so they're physically trapping the people that didn't comply with the COVID mandates. And then they're saying, and we're going to stop even handguns from being sold and kept in Canada. It's kind of wild. Now you would say, hmm, a little, a little crazy, but that's Canada. Well, that goes back to that whole point. Remember all the other episodes I've talked about with the WHO and people said I was a little crazy because I was talking about these new changes to the, the World Health Organization? And, well, first of all, let's let's go back. Let's walk through it because we're talking of like, okay, good thing we have American sovereignty. Good thing we have our rights. Good thing we, we can make decisions for ourselves and the people here believe in a certain style in terms of limited government. In general, most of us understand the importance of Second Amendment rights. All of these things, right, compared to the world at least. But then you look at the World Health Organization and the changes that were proposed by the Biden administration and supported by the Biden administration and the fact that the CCP bought the director general position of the WHO by paying developing countries to vote for a Marxist-Leninist candidate, Dr. Tedros, who now leads the WHO, helped communist China cover up all of the mess that they created and the lies that they spread about the origins and the spreading potential of COVID, said 
China was setting a perfect example for how to handle the outbreak of a pandemic and so on and so on. And now in 2022, you have these amendments proposed that would actually give the director general of the WHO the ability to declare in a sovereign country a health crisis that could spread to international levels. And so that would, guys, I'm I'm kidding you not, would give Dr. Tedros, the communist, paid and, you know, put in charge by the CCP, it would give him the ability to look at America and say, oh, you guys have a, you guys have a health crisis and we need to step in. Not only that, but these changes would also give the WHO the financial and political power to start punishing countries for not healing, for not complying with the demands of international health regulations. And so they could not only just declare this CCP-controlled organization that's funded mostly by American taxpayer dollars could not only just declare that there's a health emergency, but then they can give a list of expectations for what America should be doing to combat it. And those usually, according to the WHO, from now on will include vaccine mandates, lockdowns, um, quarantines of individual people, uh, vaccine passports, and surveillance in general. Those are just some of the things that they support on an international level, and they will expect from countries once they declare that that country has a health problem. And then, if America is told by the WHO, we want you to do X, Y, Z, and then they refuse, the WHO can then have political and economic financial power to force and punish the country that's not complying. So you look at that and you're like, oh, well, that kind of gets rid of American sovereignty. And so to see the way people like Trudeau, he loves the WHO, he loves communist China, to see how these globalists and how these other people that aren't American view rights and view gun rights especially, they talk about gun problems in America being an epidemic. Well, what if the WHO director, who's a communist, says, Mark, uh, America's got a gun problem, we need to step in. So you better comply because we are calling this a health crisis from now on. Things get crazy when you start to look at this. And we say, oh, that's just happening up in Canada where they're going to take the guns. It can never happen here. Well, at the same time as this is all happening, the WHO is meeting to try and give international powers to the WHO to have massive influence over what they declare to be health problems. And what do you know? The left loves to call gun problems in America epidemics. Now, interesting because guess what? Guess what? Last little thing that I want to add before I show you this video. Communist China was just named to the World Health Organization Executive Board. After everything we've talked about, how they paid for Tedros to be put in charge, how they worked with Tedros to hide the fact that they really messed up with COVID-19, to hide the origin stories about the Wuhan lab, everything we have talked about. And then now, latest update this week. Communist China was just named to the WHO board, and according to reports, not a single Democratic country in the room stood up to oppose it. So that's that. Um, Last thing, my friend Daniel DiMartino. You guys, it is June, and so the Freedom Records shows are about to come out, the episodes with communism survivors. They're coming out. First of all, I'm thrilled because I have been looking at the fine cuts of everything. We're going through, we're finalizing the episodes, and I will say, I was like, oh, these are actually quite aggressive. My idea and, and my hope, we're, we're partnering with a lot of schools, homeschools, charter schools, private schools, public school teachers to try and get these viewed by as many students and adults as possible. But the problem is I'm watching them and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if kids can watch this. Um, there's, there's some 
pretty violent stuff in a lot of the episodes. There are some, you know, more family-friendly ones. So I have decided with the team that we are going to make a child-friendly section on our website, on our platforms, where families with younger kids that want to watch together as a family, you will be able to say, okay, Morgan reviewed these and is guaranteeing that this is a safer option for the kids. Either it's a full episode where it's just a, an easier topic and it's more of like a a story of traveling, of the transition to a new country, whatever it may be, or I've just cut out the gruesome parts of episodes. We are going to make a child-friendly version of the episodes, and I'm pretty excited by it because it just really furthers our goal of being an educational resource on these important, important topics, especially the history, the policy, the economics of the dangerous ideologies of socialism, communism, and radical leftism. I am thrilled. I am so excited. Go subscribe to the Freedom Records on YouTube, Rumble, and then follow our social pages. Um, that being said, my friend, one of the guys that I've interviewed before, Daniel DiMartino, he escaped Venezuela. He lives in America now. He's an economist. He's fantastic. And he, the little troublemaker, when it, he's my friend, so I can make fun of him. This little troublemaker got into the Democratic Socialists of America meeting recently and filmed it. And I just want to play this for you because it's a bunch of people wearing Fidel Castro posters on the wall, wearing um, Che Guevara t-shirts, forcing a survivor from Venezuela out of their meeting because they're trying to focus on bringing socialism to America. And he is holding up a sign that says like Maduro is a dictator. I just wanted to play this as we close out. And then you guys, um, before I play this and before I head out, Please go to zeggersfreedomflags.shop. Use code FREEDOM for free shipping on a flag from me. Remember to subscribe to the Freedom Records on YouTube, Rumble for all the episodes. They're coming out later this month. And subscribe to this podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'll see you next time. Have a good week. Vamos a salir del, del espacio. Y por favor, no debatir. No mantener este ánimo y esta, esta, este intercambio que últimamente no llega nada. Muchas gracias por llegar aquí y muchas gracias por estar en diálogo con nosotros y nosotras. Así que muchas gracias. Not them. How did they pay for the trip to come here? Who paid this? Who paid for everything? I needed it. They saw what human rights. Human rights are being taken. The richest country in Latin America destroyed. Destroyed. By women like them. They destroyed it. They destroyed it.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.